this chanting that we have just done, in cultivation of the mind through uh, chanting. It's training us to have mindfulness while uh, praising the virtues of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And we do that um, as we're chanting. We have our mindfulness there. Whether we're chanting the Patimoka, the uh, rules, the monastic discipline, whether it's a sutta or one of the texts of the Abhidhamma, whether we're chanting the praises of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, this all leads our minds towards peace, towards fullness in the heart and the arising of joy. If we chant like this continuously, then the mind is able to get into upajara samadhi, this neighborhood concentration. And I've experienced this myself. While chanting, there's good mindfulness there, and both the mind and the body feel light. And there's joy um, with this act of chanting. The mind feels very full. There's a great sense of ease and a lightness in the body and mind. As we chant, then we do so with um, joy. And it makes the people who listen to our chanting feel very happy as well. And so for me, when I chanted the Padimokha, that's what it was like. Um, and I did this when I was four reigns, and I was four years as a monk, I learned how to chant the Padimokha. And the rhythm, the cadence of the chanting was very good. So I forgot to mention today is the 28th of September, Monday, uh, 2020. Mm, talking about the benefits of chanting and praising the virtues, the beautiful qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And there's great um, goodness that comes from this act of chanting. And we use it just like we use a meditation word, constantly turning that over in our hearts and being sincere in our chanting while we're doing it, not allowing the mind to go and proliferate about many different things. But keeping um, the mind centered there with that chanting until the heart fills up from it and feels very ease. This is a good way of us uh, getting into samadhi, chanting until the heart feels still, until we're not able to recollect the chant anymore. And then we just abide in that state of samadhi and carry on cultivating samadhi further, uh, but putting down the chant. Then when the mind comes out of that calm state um, and starts to think about the past and the future, we then take that stillness and energy to contemplate into this body. See that it's composed of different things. There are certain parts of it that are hard, like our hair, the hair of the head, the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin, the bones, the various organs within our bodies. These all have hardness to them, so we call it the earth element. And then there are the liquid parts, which we call the water element. 
And just like externally, we have seawater and rainwater, and these are liquid. And so in our bodies, there are various liquids too. But the earth has more solidity than the water. And that which is able to blow around is the air element. And the fire element is what gives us heat. When we take these elements and bring them together and they abide in a sense of harmony and balance, there won't be any illness in the body. But various environmental factors can alter this balance. So say like in uh, wintertime, maybe our fire element is quite weak and so the body gets ill. But during the rainy season, um, there is various changes in the weather that causes the body to become sick. Maybe if the weather is too hot, then the body gets ill as well. And, uh, we're just not able to take it. If the temperature is over 50 degrees or 55 degrees, then the water, the liquids in our body start to heat up and they get too hot. Our bodies just can't survive. If the weather is too cold, then we need things to protect us from that. So if it's too hot, we can't live. And if it's too cold, we can't live either. So the, our bodies need um, a balance within them. The elements need to be in concord. And that's just the nature of these bodies. If our minds have wisdom, then they'll be able to contemplate into the bodies and see them clearly. See them as just being a heap of elements that have come together. That they're inconstant. They're anicca, dukkha, anatta. They're um, stressful. They're inconstant. They're not self. When we clearly see into this, then we see into the Dhamma. So chanting can have great amounts of value. Um, for the monks, we may chant the Padimokkha, and this is something that's very good to do. And there's a lot of benefits to the monk who chants the Padimokkha. And one of our rules is that if a monk chants the Padimokkha, then the abbot can't um, force him to leave his kuti. So there are different privileges that monks have uh, if they're able to chant this. It also increases the barami that we have. So we should be uh, set our hearts on this chanting. We also shouldn't chant too much. However, there are some people who really enjoy chanting and they do so their hearts feel full. Maybe they chant Itibiso 108 times and do this many rounds in just one day. And then when they reduce that to just the word Buddha, um, they keep this in the mind, and so the mind feels very still and peaceful. Maybe they start reciting Buddha many, many times with each breath. Buddha, 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 Buddha. And then slowly this reduces to Buddha, Buddha, until it's just one time, just Buddha. And the mind's very still and calm. So chanting leads us to calm through this recitation of the meditation word in our hearts. But some people are of the nature to um, not enjoy chanting so much. 
and not enjoy keeping the meditation word in the heart, their minds just think too much. And so it's not appropriate for them to do this. It's not in line with their character. So they should come to contemplate seeing all things as being empty. Everything, whether it's um, the various um, material objects of this world, the bodies of animals, the bodies of people, mountains, trees, rivers, everything is empty. It's just that when things are made of tiny particles and they come together and they start forming into bigger and bigger things, then we start being able to see them with our eyes. But when we separate them out, uh, they just go into very tiny particles of matter, into neutrons, protons, electrons, a very subtle level. And we can't see them, but we can contemplate like this, getting to know that things are just comprised of energy. And when we separate that out, then there's nothing there at all. There's just emptiness. The problem comes when we start being able to see things and we see them as physical objects, then we take them to be a self. So this um, coagulation or this coming together of the elements is what constructs, um, obstructs anatta. If the mind isn't peaceful, then however much we contemplate, we won't see clearly. So it's of importance for us to train our minds to be mindful and to come together into samadhi. So that our, um, and to have peacefulness of the body and speech as this foundation. Because if our bodily actions and verbal actions aren't calm, then our minds won't gather into peace. So we need peace of the body and the speech first. And this is what we call sila or morality. And it's one of the parts of the noble path. As we develop our samadhi and mindfulness, it grows stronger with each day. And slowly, wisdom starts to manifest in our hearts until our barami becomes full. And at that point, we may listen to one Dharma talk into the nature of samuti and vimuti, of convention and liberation. And we see all things as being empty. Really, there's no convention there at all. That there's just names, but even names are nameless. And in truth, there's no thing. We separate the elements out, and it all becomes empty. Everything turns into anatta. So this is using our wisdom to cultivate peace in samadhi. To get to... And that's what we do when we know that um, this practice of using wisdom is in line with our character. When we contemplate in this way often, we'll see there's no person. If someone praises us or disparages us, there's no person there who does that praising. And there's no one there who receives that praise either. It's all empty. We have mindfulness contemplating, teaching our hearts constantly, using our wisdom to take care and guide our minds, reflecting upon the empty nature of all things. Because this emptiness is 
the Buddha, is this nature of awakening. So the Buddha is the one who knows, the one who's awake, the one who is joyful, which means the one who is composed of pure emptiness. When we contemplate and see into the nature of emptiness clearly, that means that this inner nature of awakening has arisen in our hearts. Because the perfectly self-awakened Buddha resides in this emptiness, in the Dhamma. And the Dhamma is that all things are empty. And this is the way that we walk. When we use our contemplation as the basis of our practice, then we reflect often, making our hearts full of joy, carrying on contemplating until there's more joy and more joy. And we do this often as we can. Seeing that everything that is hard and physical, everything we can see in this world, um, initially we see that as a self. And there's monasteries are the same. There's a monastery and then there's an abbot of the monastery and they say that I am the abbot and he is the abbot of a different monastery. But in truth, there's nothing there. The lay people, they have faith and they make offerings uh, to the monks and to the Buddha. But what they're offering all these things to is to pure emptiness because the Buddha is this pure emptiness. They're making offerings to the Dhamma but the Dhamma is that element, which is anicca, dukkha, anatta, knowing things as inconstant, stressful, and not self. They're making offerings to the Sangha. And the Sangha is that which has attained to the Dhamma, to the elements of purity, of not self. So really, there's no this country and no other country, no overseas. There's no person, there's no animal. When we see this, then the heart turns empty. When we contemplate in a way that allows our mind to accept this truth, then there's emptiness residing in our hearts. So we try and walk this way, often do it continuously, and carrying on cultivating this, developing this practice developing mindfulness in the four foundations and do it a lot, put in a lot of effort, go without stopping. Because the benefit of this, of samadhi, um, is that it grows. So initially there's kanaka samadhi, this momentary uh, samadhi, and then this grows, develops into upajara, neighborhood samadhi. And from the state of Upajara Samadhi, we can then contemplate. And one day we'll be able to see clearly, see emptiness even more clearer than we had before. And all our doubts will be relieved because the mind abides in emptiness. Contemplating the body, contemplating all physicality and mentality as being empty. And there's no room for doubts there. We'll see Nibbana is just like this. When we do this, then our bodies and minds become very bright. The heart um, lightens up and we have uh, faith there in our hearts. 
the um, effort and mindfulness and samadhi will just carry on um, cultivating by themselves. They'll spin around and develop. We won't have to control them. Wisdom will come up uh, from this state. But initially, we do have to have some control over our practice. We do have to force ourselves to a degree, seeing that the downsides and the harms of the frantic mind and seeing the benefits of peace. But initially, there won't be much clarity. So we put in our efforts, we practice. Sometimes there's peace and sometimes they're not, but we bear with that and carry on cultivating peace, carrying on putting in our efforts into this practice, not being lazy, doing sitting meditation, walking meditation, doing our chanting in the evening, in the mornings, meditating until the heart feels at ease and calm. It's the same for the lay people as well, developing fullness in the mind through doing good deeds and recollecting the merit that we've done. Or the skillful acts, this brings about uh, joy in the heart. So we have the sacrifice that's giving up as a normal attribute of our minds. And keeping Nibbana as the focal point of our minds, as the highest thing that we aim for in this life. Even though we still have greed, hatred, and delusion, we do good and skillful deeds as much as we can because we aim for Nibbana. This crystal city, which is composed of pure happiness, where there's no birth and death. So we put in our effort until our minds become peaceful. And then when they're... Um, in a state of calm, this effort um, comes up all by itself. The practice will just develop by itself until the path factors will come together, what we call maka samaki. Sila, samadhi, and panya turn into one thing. And so we can see that the dharma comes from this harmony. We'll then be able to observe nature in an even more refined and subtle level. Seeing the elements as composed of just energy, of just protons, neutrons, electrons, there's no self there, it's all anatta. And then we'll be able to abandon the attachment and clinging in our hearts. But all of this comes from faith that we have. In the beginning, we need to bring up that faith in the practice. And that's what sustains us until the very end, until the highest point of the path. So we all need to have a heart set on this practice to do it, to cultivate our minds continuously in this way. And one day there'll be a clarity in our minds. What the Buddha referred to as pachatan, veditabu, vinyuhi, that all beings need to see and realize it for themselves. So sometimes we chant the praises of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and bring our minds to show this respect that we have towards the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Our highest respect go towards these things, towards the Triple Gem. And carry on chanting, carry on practicing 
until we see the Dhamma. And when we do this, our respect will deepen. We'll come to a point where it's not possible for anything to change that respect, to alter the faith in our hearts. So all practitioners, may you have your hearts set on this way, and may you all meet with success. <laughs>